From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, a happy Tuesday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for carving a little time out of your day today to join us here on Open Line. The lines are already starting to line up, so jump on board. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-EWTN. Three nine eight six. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email, open line at ewtn.com, or you can text your question to Father Wade. Text the letters EWTN. To five five zero zero zero, wait for a response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams. Michael McCall producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Gubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And our host, our very own favorite, Father of Mercy, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm doing great, Jack. I'm very happy with myself that I remembered uh, Daylight Savings Time switching over this past weekend, because now it puts me here right now for Open Line Tuesday on time. Yeah, Otherwise, well, there might have been an absenteeism. Yeah, that part. would have been a problem. So it's, that's, really a, that's really a good thing. So, Father, uh, we're moving through the second week of Lent here, and as, uh, as I sit here in a pile of ashes in my hair shirt, um, I understand you want to talk about uh, penance today. I want to talk about the many forms of penance in the Christian life. (laughs) There's six great paragraphs in the Universal Catechism, numbers 1434 through 1439, that are all under a title appropriately stating the many forms of penance in Christian life. And it gives us a, a plethora, if you will, of different categories of ways to carry out penance. Not specific actions per se, but categories that actions can fall under, and then we would pick the specific action. So the Catechism teaches, beginning with 1434, the interior penance of the Christian can be expressed in many and various ways, no doubt. Scripture and the Fathers, however, insist above all on three forms— fasting, prayer, and almsgiving, what are known as the three eminent good works. And I've talked about the three eminent good works here the past couple of weeks, which express, these three do, conversion in relation to oneself, to God, and to one's neighbor. Okay. Alongside the radical purification brought about by baptism, which wipes away not only the original sin, but any and all personal sin or actual sin or mortal and venial sin, we can call it, and also martyrdom, Scripture and the Fathers also cite as means of obtaining forgiveness of sins the following, an effort at reconciliation with one's neighbor, something that Pope Francis calls for a lot, Uh, uh, tears of repentance, a concern for the salvation of one's neighbor, the intercession of the saints, and the practice of charity, 
Why? Because of the doctrine of the communion of saints, huh? the church triumphant, assisting the church militant, assisting the church suffering, etc., all in charity, which covers a multitude of sins, we're told in Scripture. 1435 says, conversion is accomplished in daily life by such things as gestures of reconciliation, concerns for the poor, the exercise and defense of justice and right, uh, by the admission of personal faults to one's own brethren, uh, giving fraternal correction and receiving fraternal correction, as just stated, uh, revision of life, uh, revising those things that you know are not bringing the good, the true, and the beautiful in your life, and excising those out, huh? Uh, ex- the examination of conscience, say, done twice daily, according to Catholic spirituality's tradition, the particular examine at midday and the general examine at the end of the day. Uh, seeking out spiritual direction to overcome a particular vice, let's say. Uh, acceptance of suffering is something redemptive and salvific. Uh, and endurance of persecution for the sake of righteousness, and taking up thus one's cross each day and following Jesus, uh, these are all the surest ways toward penance. Huh? And again, it's a plethora of examples that just in 1434 and 1435 alone of these six paragraphs have given us. Now we begin 1436 regarding Eucharist and penance, the sacrament of Eucharist and the sacrament of penance. Daily conversion and penance find their source and nourishment in the Eucharist, for in it is made present the sacrifice of Christ, which has reconciled us with God. Through the Eucharist, those who live from the life of Christ are fed and strengthened. It is a remedy to free us from our daily faults and to preserve us from mortal sins. The Catechism teaches us about the Eucharist. Again, regular reception worthily of the Eucharist is a remedy to free us from our daily faults and to preserve us from mortal sin. 1437, reading sacred scripture, praying the liturgy of the hours and the Our Father prayerfully and sincerely. Every sincere act of worship or devotion revives the spirit of conversion and repentance within us and contributes to the forgiveness of our sins. 1438 says, the seasons and days of penance on the church's liturgical calendar in the course of the liturgical year, for example, Lent and each Friday in memory of the death of the Lord throughout the whole year, all 52 Fridays, are intense moments of the church's penitential practices. Huh? Uh, these times are particularly appropriate for spiritual practice of, of different kinds, spiritual exercises, penitential liturgies, like the Stations of the Cross, pilgrimages as signs of penance, uh, voluntary self-denial, such as fasting and almsgiving and added extra prayers according to one's state in life, and also fraternal sharing, such as charitable and missionary works. That was 1438. And lastly, 1439, the, the sixth of these uh, six paragraphs on the many forms of penance in the Christian life, Jack, we read the following. It's kind of a summation. It's very beautifully worded. It's, it's summing up these previous five paragraphs. The process of conversion, it says, and repentance was described by Jesus in the parable of the prodigal son, the center of which is the merciful father. And I remind our, our listeners and our viewers, for those who are watching, the Fathers of Mercy badge on, on the left side of the chest of our religious habit, our religious garb, 
is the, the blue and gold badge of the return of the prodigal son being embraced by the father. He was moved with, with mercy, specifically reminiscent of that line from Scripture, Luke chapter 15, verse 20. He was moved with mercy when he saw the son at a, dist, at a distance and went out and, and ran out to him. But the process of conversion and repentance was described by Jesus in the parable of the prodigal son especially, the center of which is the merciful father, right? The fascination of illusory freedom, the abandonment of the father's house, asking for his inheritance early, and then the extreme misery in which the son finds himself after squandering his fortune, his deep humiliation at finding himself obliged to feed swine, and still worse, at wanting to feed on the very husks or the swill that the pigs themselves ate, his reflection on all he had lost, his repentance and decision to declare himself guilty before his father, Uh, The journey back to the Father, the Father's generous welcome by running out to meet Him with an embrace and a kiss, Uh, the the Father's joy, all these are characteristic of the process of conversion, which is the sole purpose of the many forms of penance in the Christian life. Uh, The beautiful robe that He puts on the, the prodigal son, the ring He gives him, and the festive banquet are all symbols of that new life. Uh, pure, worthy, and joyful of anyone who returns to God and to the bosom of his family, which is the church. One, the heart of Christ, who knows the depths of his Father's love, could reveal to us the abyss of his mercy in so simple and beautiful a way. And so if you want to call today and give your own personal conversion story— You don't have to give every aspect of it. I'm not asking for a public confession here. But maybe there's just one or two points of your very profound conversion that either brought you into the church as a convert or brought you back to practicing your faith of baptism as a revert. Call us on this Tuesday of the second full week of Lent. Share with us that beautiful, beautiful conversion story or just a few points thereof. Again, The Many Forms of Penance in the Christian Life, paragraph numbers 1434 through 1439 of the Catechism, have one goal and one goal only, conversion. Conversion. And this is summed up with Jesus' first public words in the four Gospels, right? Repent and believe in the Gospel. Repent and believe in the Gospel. We even see the word penance in the word repent, Huh? It's penance, uh, being expiatory, asking for, for uh, uh, a contrite heart and, and supplication toward God, uh, asking him for the forgiveness, uh, because he loves us immensely, right? And so Jesus' opening words of the Gospels, repent and believe in the Gospels. Also, John the Baptist's opening words, I might add, uh, repent, tells us something about the importance of penance, which is why we have the many forms of penance in the Christian life, to lead us ultimately to that conversion. And that's the beauty of, of this penitential season of Lent, where all of this is brought to the fore of our spiritual lives. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or 
send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, one of the longest-running shows here uh, on EWTN television is uh, EWTN Bookmark with Doug Keck. He's been interviewing Catholic authors for for probably decades now. And um, uh, we've recently introduced, in the last couple of years, a little segment that we put on our social media pages called the Bookmark Brief, and it runs on TV as well. And if you enjoy EWTN's Bookmark Brief with Doug Keck, you can receive weekly emails from us, including that short video blog. It features the author giving a short synopsis of their work in his or her own words. Visit EWTN.com and click on subscribe to take advantage of that. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. I want to give a big shout-out to the good folks in the great state of Nebraska, uh, especially Father Coulter and the good folks at Our Lady of Good Counsel Retreat House in Waverly, Nebraska, who hosted Johnette uh, and I for a marriage retreat uh, on Friday and Saturday, and then um, the good folks at uh, Saints Mary and Joseph Parish in uh, Valparaiso, Nebraska. Uh, Johnette did a parish mission there the last uh, the past three evenings, and uh, our thanks to um, uh, the Benish family for hosting us, especially Luke and Alice and their hospitality uh, to Johnette and I. And we were going to broadcast from our great affiliate in Omaha, Spirit Catholic Radio, yesterday. But as happens from time to time, Father Wade can attest, uh, airline travel is not always as, as simple as it appears to be on a schedule. And we had some serious travel issues yesterday, so we were unable to come to you live from Omaha. But a, a big shout-out to our good friends at Spirit Catholic Radio, Jim Carroll and his whole team, um, and, uh, anyway, they don't, Here's nobody a, does it better in my book than the good folks at Spirit Catholic Radio, that's including, a, that's a great, yeah, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to say, including having their listeners call EWTN's open line Tuesday. <laughs> there you go. And that's there exactly what Linda did. She's in Omaha, Nebraska, listening to Spirit Catholic Radio. Linda, welcome to the program. Thank you, Father Wade. I have a question. I have done a plenary indulgence for myself. Now, is that the only time I need to do it my whole life? Is that one time? No, because you don't you don't know necessarily your state. You you do this out of love and trust and in embracing the mercy of God. And so God gives us many days to live on earth, praise God. And this is why we can receive a plenary indulgence once a day, every day, either applied to ourselves or to a deceased person, um, known or unknown to us. Um, it would make the entire doctrine uh, kind of silly and self-defeating if it could only be done once and that was it. Uh, also, remember, uh, we, we are prone to fall into mortal sin more than one time. And so we are prone to fall into venial sin more than one time. And each time we do that, even though the sin is confessed... Uh, temporal punishment remains, so there's another time now we will want to atone for temporal punishment on these sins committed later. Hopefully that wouldn't happen, but it, we're human, we fall, it would happen again later. And so there's now temporal punishment due to those sins, okay, that, that, that you partook of or committed after you received the plenary indulgence priorly. So, so praise God, the gift of God's love and mercy grants the plenary indulgence, huh? And, and this is a, a very, very important uh, doctrine of the faith. 
and uh, we want to embrace it and, and love it. You know, the, the indulgence is the remission before God of the temporal punishment uh, due to sin whose guilt has already been forgiven. If mortal sin already been forgiven in the sacrament of penance, reconciliation or confession, because that's the only ordinary way that mortal sins are forgiven, and if venial sins forgiven either in the sacrament of confession or by other means that we believe venial sins are wiped away by, like, for example, uh, the, conf- the penitential rite at Mass, uh, carrying out any combination of the three eminent good works, not for the works themselves, but for the charity they prosper, same with the 14 works of mercy. So an indulgence is the remission before God of the temporal punishment due to sin whose guilt has already been forgiven. A properly disposed member of the Christian faithful can obtain an indulgence under prescribed conditions through the help of Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, which as the minister of redemption dispenses and applies with authority the treasury of the satisfactions of Christ, her bridegroom, and of all the saints already in heaven. An indulgence is partial if it removes part of the temporal punishment due to sin, or it's plenary if it removes all the punishment. And how do you know if it's partial or plenary? By reading about the particular indulgent spiritual work that you're seeking to fulfill. For example, for praying a, a rosary aloud in a, in a group, with, a group, uh, with a group of persons um, in a church or oratory, it would be um, a, a plenary indulgence, and so you know that by, for example, looking at the book of indulgences. So no, we, we, we don't just do it once and that's it. Uh, we, we can receive a, pl- a plenary indulgence, or a partial indulgence for that matter, once a day, every day, applied either to ourself or to a deceased one known or unknown to us. What you cannot do is have your spiritual work of the plenary or partial indulgence applied to another person still living. Why? Because they're still living. They can still merit on their own. So again, what a gift the indulgence doctrine is. Look at it this way. The husband uh, dies, and he leaves everything in the entire will to his wife, his bride, to dispense of freely as she sees fit. And this is precisely what Holy Mother Church, whom we know by her four marks, one holy Catholic and apostolic is doing with the treasury of merits won by her bridegroom, Jesus Christ, from the cross uh, in the entire Paschal mystery, his passion, death, resurrection, and ascension, uh, which began on that night of the arrest when he instituted the Eucharist. Uh, and so we, we praise God for such a great gift. Thank you, uh, Linda, for a great question from Nebraska today, Omaha specifically. And uh, a shout-out echoing uh, Jack and Johnette being there this weekend uh, to the Knights of the Holy Eucharist who helped staff the retreat center there in Waverly, and also to the wonderful uh, cloistered Carmelite nuns there in Valparaiso, uh, a beautiful convent of sisters there, uh, right there in that heart of Nebraska. Yeah, we went to uh, Mass yesterday morning, uh, the the conventional Mass with the Carmelite sisters, absolutely beautiful. You know, yeah, I think, great. you know, you experience this in Hansville. I think once a sister takes her final vows, I think she's given the voice of an angel. <laughs> right, that's right, because every time you hear them singing from the cloister, you're like, okay, they should cut a CD, you know? <laughs> that's exactly right. They're absolutely fantastic. And one other little shout-out I wanted to give, uh, Father Zimmer, the pastor at St. Mary and Joseph uh, Parish there in uh, Valparaiso, what a, what a gracious and, and holy man uh, he is, and uh, very inspirational for us to have an opportunity to be around him. And, you know, you, you just see these, you know, this is a town, by the way, to 500 people. And yeah. we went to a soup supper there 
in the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday, and there were 350 or 400 people at this thing. It was unbelievable. <laughs> there you Very go. inspirational. Yeah, great. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Gina in Medina, Ohio. She's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Gina, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Thank you for taking my call. I have a quick question. Uh, one of my friends, not Catholic, asked me, where do we get the practice of receiving ashes on Ash Wednesday? Great question. Well, even in the Old Testament times, we saw putting on ashes, and as Jack uh, kind of quipped at the beginning of my springboard topic, in addition to the hair shirt, it, it, the putting on of ashes was a very prominent form of seeking penance from God, even in the Old Testament. We see this time and time again. And this is shown um, even in the, in, the book of, in the book of Genesis, where, you know, we are dust, and to dust we shall return. It's, it's the second um, account of creation of the human person. Uh, in the book of Genesis. And so the two options for the priest when, or, or the deacon or the properly deputed lay person to help distribute the ashes if it's a large crowd, uh, they have two options wherein they can say either one when imposing the ashes on the forehead in the sign of, the cro- in the sign of a cross on the person's forehead. And the two options are, appropriately enough, number one, repent and believe in the gospel, and number two, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Hearkening to the book of Genesis, that second option. But why do I say appropriately, appropriately, so, appropriately so the first option? Because it's all about repentance. And Jesus Christ has come to give us the new covenant, the new dispensation, which doesn't do away with the old covenant, the old dispensation, but brings it to perfection. We see this, for example, in that he did not abolish the, the Ten Commandments, but he brings them to perfection in the eight Beatitudes, or nine Beatitudes, uh, if, depending on what translation of Scripture you're, you're looking at, because sometimes the very last one is split up in two. The eighth one is split up into two. Um, and, and both were giving on mountains, for example, a Mount Sinai for the Ten Commandments, and sacred tradition holds that Mount Tabor was where he gave uh, the eight Beatitudes during his famous Sermon on the Mount. So uh, repent and believe in the gospel. And remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So on Ash Wednesday, millions of Catholics and even non-Catholics throughout the English-speaking world will hear those words, and how beautiful is that, huh? Uh, And then as far as where do the actual gray powdery ashes come from, uh, well, we just look no further than the Roman Missal, right? Uh, The ashes are typically supposed to be made from last year's Palm Sunday branches. So usually around January or February, the, the parish will call for people to bring in their palms from last year, which they have in their home as as a religious item, a sacramental from that previous Palm Sunday. They might put it uh, behind their crucifix uh, in their living room or in their bedroom, for example, or just lay it on top of the, the fireplace mantle, w- whatever. But they bring back their previous year's palm branch, and then these branches are then burned down into a fine powder, and in the United States are mixed with holy water or chrism oil to create a light paste. Uh, in other parts part of the world, sometimes the dry ashes are sprinkled on the head rather than made into a paste. We did that here in the United States even during the two years of COVID in some areas which where the bishops uh, imposed that as, as a type of restriction for, for COVID. Um, but this year, many, many places went back to the normative 
of here in the United States of, of imposing the ashes and the sign of the cross on the forehead. So great question. So it comes deeply from sacred scripture, especially the Old Testament, uh, and Jesus did not come to abolish the Old Testament, but to bring it to perfection. Great question. Thank you so much. You know, and it's interesting, Father Way, because even though it's not a holy day of obligation, Ash Wednesday is one of the most uh, uh, densely attended masses within the church during the year, and it's becoming uh, more and more popular in evangelical circles. That's right. You know, I just served a priest uh, in Illinois, and he and I were talking about this very phenomenon, you know, in a, in a not in a, a flippant way, but in a in a, a, a kind of a joyful way, because we're happy they're there. You know, there's the Creasters, right? The Christmas and Easter Catholics called the Creasters. They they don't go to Mass on Sunday as an obligation, which objectively speaking is a mortal sin, but they come to Christmas and Easter. They also want to go get their ashes on Ash Wednesday, and I have, personally, I have a, a reasoning why that just may be so. I can give that when we come back. 833-288-EWTN, 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833 833- Two eight eight three nine eight six. A couple of lines open and plenty of time for your phone calls. We want to hear about your conversion stories, the Reader's Digest version, or maybe as we're called to live a life of constant conversion, you can talk about one of the conversion experiences in your life. And that's what Alan is going to do. He is in Cincinnati, Ohio, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Alan, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Uh, hi, Father Wade and Jack. Just heard you said share your conversion experience. So, yeah, great. The ongoing, the ongoing segment thing for me was probably about twelve years ago, and we were having our third daughter. And you know, I, I would go to mass, not always, not always attending, but um, you know, hitting it as often as I could. But uh, I was listening to PBS with Father Barron with the Catholicism series. And he said, um, one of the greatest tragedies is that you're not a saint. And I was like, what? And uh, I was like, that's true, though. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and, and then uh, he talked about the apparitions of Mary uh, in, in Guadalupe Lourdes. I think Guadalupe Lourdes. Mm-hmm. The, the Guadalupe one hit me. I'd always seen the candles in supermarkets. I thought they were kind of cheesy, you know. Right. And uh, and then I actually heard the story, and I was like, "Whoa, um, this is because Mary didn't really have a big role in in my faith." Uh, that being said, at that time we were naming our our daughter Ava May, which is Life of Mary, um, which is. Um, which in uh, yeah in Irish means the Life of Mary. So I was looking it up. And uh, and then after I heard the apparitions, I looked more into them, and I saw how completely unbe- unbelievable they were, and that because they were so inconceivable, you know, how they kind of transpired, that they were legitimate, kind of like the gospel. And and that, that just established Mary's role, you know, the rosary and, and right. this path towards 
ongoing conversion. So I just wanted to share that in monthly monthly confession. Well, great and monthly. Just, you know, well, great. Monthly confession coupled with uh, weekly Eucharist for our Sunday obligation, and the obligation is done not out of fear uh, of, of punishment, serve out fear, but it's done out of filial fear, and it's also done to fulfill the first of the three commandments uh, regarding love of God, ultimately all three. And, uh, you know, God gives us 168 hours a week, 24 times 7, can we not give Him one, huh? And so the Church asks us to uh, obligatorily worship God on Sunday. Every Sunday is a holy day of obligation, huh? And uh, that's a beautiful thing. And, and Sunday Mass coupled with uh, monthly confession, I'm a big promoter of monthly confession. I think the challenges of the culture today are just too too many and too much uh, to not be availing ourselves more frequently to confession. And uh, I'm telling you what, if you receive those two sacraments out of the seven, the only two of the seven that can be received repetitiously, uh, meaning again and frequently, meaning daily if you want them, uh, technically speaking, we don't want to go to confession daily because that could lead to scrupulosity, but that said, we, we can possibly go to confession daily along with Eucharist, for example, daily Mass, right? These are the only two sacraments out of the seven that can be received both repetitiously and frequently, and if you receive these faithfully in love and not take advantage of them, but truly try to amend your life and move forward, uh, God cannot be outdone in His generosity. So, great. Uh, thank you so much for a, a, a great witness today, uh, Alan. We really appreciate it. 833-288-EWTN. Still a couple of open lines and time for your calls at 833-288-3986. Andrea is in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, listening on KMMMK Radio. Andrea, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, everybody. Um, my story um, happened about 20 years ago. And um, I was about as far away from being a Catholic as you can possibly be. Mm. And I walked into a room one day, and um, Geraldo Rivera was on. And I'm not a fan, so I was going to turn that TV off. And then people who he was interviewing started talking about a place called Medjugorje that they'd been, and the things that were happening. Oh, excuse me. Um... And when they said the Blessed Mother was appearing there, I just thought my, to myself, I bet that's true. And the second that I believed, I felt this little puff of air go through my heart. And I knew it was from the Blessed Mother. And from that moment on, whatever she wanted me to do, that's what I was going to do. And I didn't know that included... Becoming a Catholic, I was totally clueless, but I had a friend who was Catholic, and she just got annoyed with all my questions, finally, and said that she would sponsor me to the RCIA group, and I didn't know what that was. I thought, okay. But it was like the Blessed Mother just had her hand in the middle of my back, and she just kept me going, just kept mm -hmm. going, kept going. And I love the classes, and I love the priest, and um, so I, Easter... Well, from the time I first um, felt that puff of air that went through my heart, um, I was converted. Hmm. And everything in my life changed. Everything. The way I looked at the world changed. Um, and then I discovered the Eucharist. And I became, uh, if I could go every day, I would. Um, 
I, I love the Latin math, and um, we can't. We only have it three times a week here, but um, I, I can't miss. Right. Beautiful testimony, Andrea. And it sounds like a, a wonderful Catholic friend who was there to guide you in the right direction when you felt the tug to look more deeply into the faith prior to your conversion and then discern RCIA. And then through that standard two-year process, uh, discern even further during that time and then to make your final decision to come in. And, uh, you know, we believe very strongly that our Blessed Mother has one goal and one goal only, and that is to lead us more closely to her son. And she did just that with you, and by your openness to faith, and by leading you to the fullness of truth in the Catholic faith, um, especially through uh, uh, her role in leading her, uh, her own sons and daughters, and also her brothers and sisters, more closely to her son. So we thank you for that, that great witness, and we thank you so much for your call today. Praise God for that. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next stop for us is Grand Rapids, Michigan. Michael is in Grand Rapids listening on Holy Family Radio. Michael, you're on with Father Wade. Thank you for taking my call. I have uh, a couple of questions. One is, uh, what is the difference between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church pertaining to the Pope, and also the Virgin Mary? Okay, great question. Thank you so much. First of all, when you say uh, Eastern Orthodox churches, I want to make it clear to our listeners that you're not referring to the 23 Eastern rites found in the Eastern Catholic churches that are in union with Rome. So by Eastern Orthodox, uh, you're referring to those that are outside of Rome, huh? And uh, uh, they do not believe in the, the, the office of the Pope. They do not believe in the papacy. Uh, and so this separates us from them in that regard, okay? The Orthodox, the Eastern Orthodox, not the Eastern Catholics. The Eastern Catholic churches, again, 23 different rites, do believe in the office of Peter and his successors, the papacy, uh, handed down throughout the ages from the commission of Christ to Peter himself in Matthew 16, 18, uh, down to the present day and age. So that's that's how we differ from the Eastern Orthodox in regards to the papacy. They don't embrace the office of the papacy at all. In regards to the Blessed Mother, the Roman Catholic Church holds two doctrines, the Immaculate Conception and the Assumption. Uh, regarding the Immaculate Conception of Mary being conceived in her mother's womb, uh, free of original sin, to prepare her for the office of the divine maternity to one day carry the incarnate Son of God. The Orthodox faith rejects the Catholic doctrine of the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary, uh, again, in which Jesus' own mother, Mary, was conceived in her mother's womb, St. Anne's womb, uh, without original sin. Orthodox Christians do not accept the Catholic concept uh, of original sin, which is what makes the Immaculate Conception of the Virgin Mary seem uh, necessary to the Church of Rome for them, uh, for, for the Eastern Orthodox, when looking at our doctrine of the, of the Immaculate Conception. And in regards to the Assumption, uh, it depends on what branch of the Eastern Orthodox you're, you're looking at. Some will believe in the Dormition of the Blessed Virgin, 
um, that uh, it, she went into a sleep at the time of her death and was assumed into heaven, what the Catholic Church calls the Assumption of Mary, body and soul to heaven. Uh, and as Pope, uh, Pope Pius XII said, he says, whether she died or not is irrelevant. The fact is her body had no decay, which those Eastern Orthodox churches believing in the Dormition or the Assumption do believe that aspect of it, that, that she was free from decay. Okay, so in Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic theology, uh, the assumption or the remission is the notion uh, that the doctrine of Mary was taken, assumed into heaven, uh, either while having never died or did die, irrelevant there, those two points. The fact is, the main point here is that her body knew no decay because of the doctrine of the original sin. So, uh, a doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, which preserved her from original sin. So there you have it. That's the main primary differences between us and the Orthodox uh, churches. Thank you so much for a great question. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Grab one of these open phone lines at 833-288-3986. Next up is Mary in Charleston, South Carolina, listening on Catholic Radio in South Carolina. Mary, you're on with Father Wade. Yes, Father Wade. Um, I have a friend, and um, we're more acquaintances than friends, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think she's a non-believer. But um, recently she told me that she was going to scatter her late husband's ashes. And... um, it sort of shocked me, and I didn't say anything at that moment. And I'm just wondering, should I go to her and tell her that she shouldn't do this, or no? Yeah, I mean, you'll, you have no say over what her final decision is, but you can surely witness to her and, uh, and, and tell her that, you know, as a Catholic yourself, uh, your practice and your faith is not to scatter the ashes, precisely because we want to remember the dead and offer suffrages for them, and it's nice to go somewhere where the deceased loved one is entombed or buried or in a columbarium. So the Church isn't against cremation, per se, uh, although her preference is for a full-body burial, but the Church isn't against cremation. Uh, that said, um, we believe in a, in a proper burial of the urn with the ashes, either in a columbarium above ground or uh, in the ground uh, in its own plot or buried above a full-body grave of, let's say, the deceased spouse who went prior. Uh, that isn't the case here, it sounds like, because this is the spouse that, that currently has the ashes of the deceased loved one. Uh, but you want to witness to her on, on why we believe in the burial or entombment. It's, it's because we esteem the the remains of the loved one that remains that will one day be reunited with the soul uh, at the second coming of Christ um, and and will enter into heaven for all eternity or or to be reprobated for all eternity in in hell the fact is it's an important doctrine the resurrection of the body quote in quote we say it in the Nicene Creed Sunday after Sunday and every holy day of obligation that falls during the weekday we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And so the body means something, even though deceased, even though it might be ashen now, or in ashes now, and not full body. It's still nice to properly entomb it, to offer suffrages, to have a place to visit the dead. For example, the whole month of November, 
is dedicated to the dead to offer suffrages for them. And this is how you witness to your friend from your own Catholic viewpoint of the dignity of the dead. There's even masses for the dead. There's even prefaces in the Roman Missal for the dead, uh, for the funeral masses and so forth. There's a Catholic burial rite at the graveside. Whether it's full body or ashes, it doesn't matter. So all of these things are, are truths that help witness to others who may not be Catholic to help them better understand where we're coming from when we're trying to uh, show them the beauty of burying their loved one, entombing their loved one, rather than scattering uh, their loved one's remains. Great question, and, and so should you do it? Yeah, I, I think you should do it. Don't be too hard on yourself if you're not successful. It doesn't fall within your jurisdiction. Uh, you're, you're not, you're not her, keep, her, her keeper. She's her own keeper, and, and she's the one who lawfully has her deceased spouse's um, uh, ashes. And so uh, you are not to get down on yourself if should she end up scattering the ashes that you somehow did not do it right or whatever. Don't get down. That's just the, that's just the evil one talking in your ear. Uh, you did your part. You attempted to evangelize. But the reality is not everybody heeds evangelization. And so uh, you can only do what you can do. But yes, I would recommend uh, going to her and, and trying to witness to her in this regard. Great question. Thank you so much. Be sure to check out Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Stay abreast of everything going on inside and outside the church from a uniquely Catholic perspective. That's Catholic Connection tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, with Teresa Tamio and her guests uh, right here on EWTN Radio. Next up is Gene in Gretna, Nebraska, listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. And uh, earlier in the program, Father, you talked about the prodigal son, and I think Gene has a story about her experience with uh, the prodigal son. Gene, you're Great. on with Father Wade. No, thank you for this opportunity. I would like to talk about the many treasures of the Catholic Church. I was a fallen away Catholic. And through the grace of the Holy Spirit, years later, I am now a Benedictine Oblate at Mount Michael Abbey. Now, one of the Oblate retreats I attended by Brother Jerome is mm. uh, we were led through praying with the Divina and viewing the painting of the prodigal. So the Holy Spirit led me to focus on the hands of the Father. And one hand in particular, of course, was... I noticed one hand looked feminine and the other masculine. At that point, I was led to understand that Mary was constantly in my life giving me what she could to bring me back to her son. Hmm. So I would just like to, during this time, say, Lectio Divina, prayer, um, you know, all of, and Mary and saints. And all of the treasures of the church can help bring us back to Jesus. There you go. Be- beautifully stated. <laughs> you, sh- you should teach, teach RCIA if you don't already, to, especially to adults. <laughs> so great, great witness. Thank you so much. And uh, we really appreciate that call. And Lexio Divina, for those of you who may not be aware of the term, is simply a divine reading. Uh, it's the reading of the sacred scriptures. 
and it usually implies automatically by its very phrase that there's some meditation time after the reading itself. Uh, it's putting yourself in the scenario of what it is you're reading. There's different approaches to it, but basically that's the end result. You want to put yourself there, then you want to have a meditation on it. Uh, we have different schools of thought of how best to do this. There's the Carmelite tradition, the Dominican tradition, etc. Um, so th- there's there's the beautiful schools of thought on this, and, and it's that no one is absolutely correct over the others. They're, they all have their fruit to offer. And so uh, Jean offered us her, her own fruit from Lexio Divina, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much, Jean, for a great witness question. Do you teach uh, the faith to others, Jean, on, even um, now? I lead, I lead the Bible study up at um, St. Patrick's in Gretna, so I'm very close to Waverly. I know Father Coulter, and I know the folks that you visited and stayed with while you were hearing about Prezo, and so it's a very blessed area. Yeah, the, the monastery there of the Cloistered Sisters is absolutely incredible. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Well, God bless you, Jean, and thanks for a great witness call, which I'm sure others benefited from so much. Thank you. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Next up is Elaine in the great state of North Carolina, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Elaine, you're on with Father Wade. Hi, Father Wade. Um, I have a question about adoration. Our church has adoration from Monday through Friday. And on the weekends, um, there is a room next to the altar where they put the Blessed Sacrament uh, in the in the chapel. Uh, it's exposed, okay, but it's in a room by itself with the doors closed, and they call that adoration for Saturday and Sunday. Is that right? Uh, if I'm understanding you correctly, there's a. a proper, bigger chapel for adoration throughout the week, but then, uh, which people could go to and adore, and there's sign-up people, people sign up to, so that our Lord's never left alone. But then when the weekend rolls around for all the weekend Masses, especially beginning with the vigil on Saturday night all the way through Sunday proper, they remove the Blessed Sacrament, still in the monstrance, and put it in a small, a much smaller room where people can still go to adore, but there's not always people adoring him during that time? Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that is not correct. Uh, we should not leave the, the host, the consecrated host, in the monstrance and move the monstrance to a, another room, even if it's a smaller room, without people in front of it. Now, there you can, a parish can have perpetual adoration 24-7. Uh, so even when the weekend masses are going on, there can still be adoration if it's a perpetual designator or designated a perpetual adoration chapel in the diocese. Most are not that way. So they might have perpetual adoration 24-5 instead of 24-7, and then 24 hours a day, five days a week, or half of Saturday as well. Then, they re- then the pastor or one of his associates reposes our Lord, takes the consecrated host out of the monstrance, the monstrance is empty, it's put away, and then the exposition takes place again in the, ch- in the chapel on Monday morning. But the way you're describing it is the, the, the public adoration with the signed-up adorers who are always in front of our Lord ends uh, sometime before the vigil. The pastor leaves the host in the monstrance, then just simply moves it to a small room, which can take adorers, but usually there's no adorers in it. 
uh, because of the weekend masses. It sounds like they don't have signups for those times uh, for the week during the weekend masses. So our Lord stays exposed in a monstrance in a small room that may have a two chairs and two praydus, but that's still improper because there's no signups to of anybody being there with him. If somebody could be there with him uh, during the masses, that would still be odd because what you're having then is you're having perpetual adoration, but in two different locations on the one parish grounds. Usually perpetual adoration is in one set chapel on the parish grounds for the 24-7. It wouldn't make sense to adore five and a half days in the larger chapel, and then for the remaining day and a half, put them in a small room with two other two adorers or one adorer in a little chapel or room that takes two people. That, that wouldn't make sense. It should be the same one chapel throughout the entire week, if it's perpetual adoration 24-7. So yes, how you're describing it and how you uh, re- just uh, assured me that, that I understood you properly, it sounds like it's being incorrect, done incorrectly. The thing to do would be before the vigil mass or sometime on the Saturday is to officially repose our Lord so he's no longer exposed in the monstrance, and then expose him anew for the, for the new week uh, sometime on Monday morning. Uh, so great question. Thank you so much. Caressa is in Fall City, Texas, listening on Guadalupe Radio. Caressa, you're on with Father Wade. Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. I have two questions, Father. I am a cradle Catholic. I went to CCD, and I've started teaching—I'm 64, by the way, and I started teaching CCD at the age of 18 and haven't missed very many years teaching. But even at that, the more that I read, the more that I learn, the more that I know I don't know. And so I want to get as much as I can out of the sacraments, the two sacraments that you just spoke of earlier, reconciliation and Holy Eucharist. Hmm. So here are my questions. How can I prepare myself more thoroughly to receive a more thorough, a more, a better confession. I, sometimes I feel like when I go to confession, and I know you so said... Unfortunately, Carissa, I'm going to have to jump in because we're almost out of time. Father, how can she become a better catechist, prepare herself to become a better catechist with regard to these two sacraments? You know, I'll just tell you about the Fathers of Mercy examination of conscience that we have at our website at fathersofmercy.com. You can find it there as a PDF document. It's a wonderful, wonderful examination of conscience for one standard monthly confession. It combs through the Ten Commandments in a very simple way, non-scrupulous manner. It's a wonderful way to prepare yourself for, for your confession each month, say in honor of the first Friday devotion to the Sacred Heart, or say in honor of the first Saturday devotion to the Immaculate Heart, go to confession monthly. Uh, look at the examination of conscience for more, no more than five to seven minutes. Uh, confess the things that are at the fore of your conscience, whether mortal or venial. It's just a great examination of conscience, again, found at fathersofmercy.com. I'm a big advocate, too, of reading simply just five numbered paragraphs of the Catechism each day, both in the section on the Eucharist and on Reconciliation, but eventually the whole Catechism in one year's time. Just five numbered paragraphs a day. Great question. Thank you.
Father, would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us. On behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in. Back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until we get together then, God bless.